So we're doing a series of sermons called Revive Us Again, O Lord. And I know we're all on the same page. We want more. So this is part three of Revive Us Again, O Lord. So let's give Pastor Dan a round of applause. Really enjoying this series and been asking the Lord, what, what's the Spirit saying to the churches? And I, I feel like what he's saying nationally and even internationally is saying locally, and that is, revive us again, O Lord. And so we'll be continuing this series. Uh, our preaching team will be highlighting some historical revivals and the biblical anchor points that were special emphases for that historical revival. So it'll be awesome, and I'm so excited about it. I've been focusing on the revival in Thessalonica uh, as led by the Apostle Paul. Um, and, uh, but first, before we continue with that, I'd like to share some wise sayings from children. The Bible says a little child will lead them. Here's a few wise sayings from children. One, never trust your dog to watch your food. <laughs> That's from Patrick, age 10. When your dad is mad and asks you, do I look stupid? Don't answer him. <laughs> Never tell. That's uh, Michael, age 14. Here's another one from Michael. He's a really wise kid, age 14. A lot of wisdom in teenagers. <laughs> Never tell your mom her diet is not working. <laughs> Randy, age 9, says, stay away from prunes. Robert, age 13, hard lessons of experience. Never pee on an electric fence. <laughs> when your mom is mad at your dad, don't let her brush your hair, <laughs> says Talia, age 11. Never hold a dust buster and a cat at the same time, <laughs> says Kyoe, age 8. And Kelly, age 11, says, don't wear polka dot underwear under white shorts. <laughs> okay? And finally, Eileen, age 8, says, uh, never, 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 never try to baptize your cat. <laughs> Doesn't work very well. So our talk today is continuation. Uh, Revive us again, O oh Lord, part 3. Essential features of a biblical revival, essential features of a biblical revival, and in terms of just to hook back into our last talk, we've noted that at Acts 17, Paul had an experience in Philippi that was so awesome, preached to a small group, ladies' prayer meeting down by the river, Lydia, Christian, uh, or a devout Jewish businesswoman from Thyatira gets good saved as well as the other ladies there. There's a problem that results with a demonized gal getting delivered. Uh, Paul and Silas get thrown into jail, but they sing hymns around midnight. There's an earthquake. They're set free. The jailer gets good saved along with his family. It's a wholesale, full-on revival, but it's a small group. And there are times like later on in Berea, Athens, where Paul has a small 
revival in terms of numbers, but it's a tiny but mighty revival in terms of experience. And it's just as much a revival, as Marty mentioned, in a small church in Limon, Costa Rica, just as strong and just as mighty as the outpouring at Pensacola or at at, uh, Toronto or in Asbury University or at New Song Church or in you. We are walking revivals. We carry an anointing. Jesus Christ purchased for us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Nothing earned, nothing achieved by our efforts. It's all by grace, but it must be received by faith. A great multitude of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas at Thessalonica. Three weeks' time, a mighty outpouring. Yes, big numbers. But more importantly, a huge outpouring of the Holy Spirit, so much so that the city leaders said, those that have turned the world upside down have now come here. It's a supernatural outpouring. Our gospel came to you not just in word, but in power. And in the Holy Spirit, and with great assurance, a miraculous outpouring of assurance, this rings true. This rings true. It resonates as truth. I believe it. I receive it by faith. And my friends, we receive revival experience by grace alone through faith alone. It is the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. This is a review from last time. And the only limitation on us receiving everything that Jesus has purchased for us in terms of personal revival, the only limitation is ourselves. No one else in your family's fault. It's not the pastor's fault, thankfully. (laughs) It's not your brother-in-law's fault, your mom's fault. It behooves us, it is incumbent upon us to take full responsibility to have a full-on revival in our own lives. Marked by righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It doesn't have to bubble over with certain manifestations. It doesn't have to be rolling on the floor. It can. It's okay. It doesn't have to be what anyone else says it has to be, but it must be something that captivates me, us, your own inner life that moves you to an incredible, at times peaceful, joy is peace, dancing, and peace is joy, resting. It is marked by an enormous, infinitely blessed tranquility and at times a level of joy that you never thought possible. So much so, the Apostle Peter describes it as joy unspeakable. A joy that's full of glory. It's unspeakable and full of God's glory. That's what Jesus blood bought you. That's what you're right to have. 
We receive it by faith. With reference to the next revival in Corinth, where Paul, I like to think of Macedonia as being the state of Washington, where Philippi and Thessalonica are. That's like Seattle and Portland, or Seattle and Vancouver, Washington area. And Achaia as being Oregon, where uh, Corinth is. And Paul has had that revival, imparted that anointing in Thessalonica, and now he's gone south 350 miles to having stopped at Berea, having stopped at Athens, where there was many revivals in terms of numbers, but not in terms of experience. And he's hit Corinth. And he's shocked because without the internet, without newspapers, without radio, without television, everybody all already knows about what's gone up north. The revival in Portland and Vancouver has already sounded. He says, he says to the Thessalonians, what happened there rang forth. We don't even, didn't even have to say anything because everybody here already knows about it. I like what uh, in happened in Corinth when he writes to Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 8, the message, paraphrase, puts it this way with regard to the importance of receiving by faith. A full-blown revival, Eugene Peterson in the message puts the verse this way, you already have more access to God than you can handle. (laughs) You already have more access to God than you can handle. But yet and yet, in the paradoxical nature of theology and the word of God and the way God works, it's beyond our thinking. Stuff like three persons in one, one person, three persons in one essence, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Even though we don't have to go anywhere to receive an impartation of a full-blown revival. Because we can have it by faith because it's blood-bought for each of us. At the same time, it's also appropriate to go and receive an impartation and to bring it back. All at the same time. If you, go to, if you went to Toronto or if you went to Brownsville, Pensacola, or if, you went, if you're thinking about going to Asbury University, as many people are, bring it back. We're not saying by that that the people back home have to have that from that place. But we are saying it's fully a fully a- appropriate access point for more of God to do it that way too. The word and in theology is just huge. It's a huge word. So let's not just take one size fit all, fits all approach to this. Let's have it all. If you went to Toronto or you went to Pensacola, God bless you. I went three times. And Brenda went several, three or four times and even got her picture taken by Charisma Magazine photographer and ended up in a full-page picture in Charisma Magazine. I can't find it. I was trying to show it to you. But we were blessed. We brought it back. Marty went to, when she was a missionary in in Costa Rica, she went to Toronto There was 5 million people that went to Toronto in the first first 10 years. 
from all over the world. They received something. They spread the fire coming back. But did you have to go to receive it? No. But you can if you want. And it's a blessing. Well, the point I was trying to make or want to make, I mentioned it last time, is a supernatural impartation of revival experience to other hungry hearts is one of the, one of the uh, features of a biblical revival. Can we put that up? A supernatural impartation of revival experience to other hungry hearts. Is that there? Do we have that one? Nope, don't have that one. Okay. Then listen. A supernatural impartation of revival experience to hungry hearts. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6. As you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, you became examples to all in Washington and Oregon, that is Macedonia and Achaia, who believe. For from you the word has sounded forth, rang forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so we do not need to say anything. Paul, the apostles' world was rocked with personal revival at the Damascus Road experience. And the fire never left him his whole life. One man imparted to Silas, imparted to Timothy, and the synergism, the chemistry of that team amplified the whole experience and the fire spread everywhere they went. And it's happened through history with St. Patrick in Ireland, Martin Luther in Germany, the Reformation, (coughs) Whitfield and Wesley in England in the Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards on this side of the pond. Evan Roberts in the Welsh Revival, early 1900s. Azusa Street, William Seymour. Lonnie Frisbee with the Jesus People Revival. Randy Clark at Toronto. Steve Hill at Brownsville, Pensacola. One student that got up and repented at Asbury Seminary. Unnamed. No one knows. Few people know his name. There's a fire on him, though, and it spread. And in the Old Testament, the one example of an enormous city transformation where the whole city was shook with revival, honoring Yahweh in repentance, sparked by one man who was totally disabled spiritually named Jonah. Huge attitude issues. Narcissistic. No one would want to be his friend. But the anointing of God was on him in his disability. And he preached, finally, in Nineveh. And the whole place repented. Several hundred thousand people repented. And the revival was so mighty at Nineveh that it lasted several generations it wasn't until 100 years later, after Jonah's revival there, one spark 
It was not until 100 years later that God had to judge Nineveh for their sins. Because generation after generation after generation for 100 years was affected by the Jonah revival. I mentioned to you last time, the world is yet to see what God can... This is from D.L. Moody's Second Great Awakening. The world is yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. I hope that's your declaration. I'm going to be that man. I'm going to be that woman. I'm going to see what God will creatively do if I, in the, my heart of hearts, hear his whisper. And what he whispers in my ear, I'm going to shout from the housetops. Secondly, a heartfelt, deep receiving of the apostolic teaching of the New Testament is one of the features of the Thessalonian revival. Verse 8 of chapter 1. Your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. We honor you, Thessalonians, in the midst of the tide of the culture amongst the Gentiles and the Jews to resist anything new. We honor you for listening to the Holy Spirit in our ministry of the word to you so that you received not just our message, but you received us and you allowed us to impart to you the fire that had captivated and obsessed us. You received the word. Paul echoes this receiving of the apostolic teaching and Presence later in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. You still listening? For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe the word of God is continuing to work in you who believe. Bible is God preaching. It's the only book in the history of the world where the author talks to you personally as you read it. It's a work in you. It's a work in me. We when we think of revivals in history are grieved at how many revivals that it's like the Galatians. Paul says, you, you were running well. What did hinder you? You left the word. And sometimes revivals in history have left the word and gone south and, it, and they've crashed and burned. And as I've read revival history, there's been times and I've wept as a father even for Lonnie Frisbee, I found myself weeping over him this week as I thought about him and how he, he passed away when he was 44 years old. Didn't have to happen. We must keep the Bible as our anchor, personally and collectively. I came to Christ in the Jesus movement. I, 
I always honored the Bible as a kid. I, there was something that God gave me, a, a hunger for the Bible. As a child, I read Arthur S. Maxwell, Seventh-day Adventist, 10 volumes. You saw him in the dentist's office, perhaps. I read them three times before I was 10 years old. My dad gave me an army New Testament pocket, New Testament, red letter edition with the Psalms. I carried it around as a five-year-old. Slept with it under my pillow. Because I saw it as the word of God. I wanted to honor it. When I came to Christ at the age of 16, I got this book called Letters to Street Christians. And it was an odd two-year-old, two-year period in the history of the church and the Jesus movement where university-educated campus students all across America were also deeply committed to being street people, many homeless. They, that seems paradoxical to us now, but it was part of the culture. They only lasted a couple of years because people realized they couldn't live off of everybody else's work very long. But Letters to Street Christians, written by two brothers from Berkeley, University of California, Berkeley. I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I read it. The words I speak to you are spirit and they are life, Jesus said. Now, the hour I spend in the Word every morning with my cup of coffee favorite hour of the day by my fireplace. I listened to Audible app. The message, the NIV, New King James Version. There's life in these words. I posted on Facebook these words. I love Bible reading the words. And the word stirs me, consoles me, changes me, calls me to courage, and makes me love him. Karl Barth, German theologian, emphasized the importance of faith when we read the Bible. We read the Bible rightly when we read it in faith. Chuck Girard, from Love Song, Jesus People Band said all in one of his songs, all he wants to do is show you his love and comfort you. All you've got to do is to take him at his word. I carried my Bible in high school and in a high school psychology class, I laid it on my desk week after week. A young man walks up to me, one of the star wrestlers, Battleground High School. And with a kind of a nervousness in his voice, he asked me, Dan, do you get high from reading the Bible? <laughs> that took me by surprise. And I said, yeah, I do. A few months later, he came to Christ and has had many years pastoring in his own right. A.W. Tozer put it this way, refuse to be average. Let your heart soar as high as it will. My friends, the Bible describes your life in Christ in a way that will make your heart and life soar. 
And it, it can happen in the culture of a church. You know that a shark can only grow to like about eight inches in a fish uh, aquarium? But it can grow to eight feet in the ocean. All has to do with context and environment. The word of God about revival is calling us to be a people of the book in faith. To focus the promises in faith and to stir each other up in an, not in a small aquarium, but in an ocean of expectation from the word. In a way where we can grow into eight foot sharks that will threaten every other attack in our lives. So we've seen one essential feature of biblical revival is a, nat- is a supernatural impartation of experience to other hungry hearts. We spread the fire. And we've seen that a heartfelt receiving of the apostolic teaching of the New Testament is essential. One final feature of a biblical revival for this time is that a heart that is turned from idolatry to serve the living and true God. I need one of those handkerchiefs, please. You're the greatest in the kingdom. Thank you. Servant of all is the greatest of the kingdom. Paul, verse 9. For they themselves declare concerning what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The idolatry that the Thessalonians turned from was deeply ingrained in the first century Roman world. The coins in Rome did not say, in God we trust. They said, Caesar is Lord. And Christians said, Jesus Christ is the only Lord. The artists and guilds, labor unions of that day, for a higher wage meant that you had to be deeply committed to idolatrous banquets that included prostitutes and the honoring of the god, god, small g, slash demons associated with those idols. Some of our, of the national cult experience of uh, Rome seems to be seeping into our national experience in this time. Christians in uh, first century Rome, Roman Empire, were accused of being haters because they did not comply with the national norms. The community standards of Facebook. I mean, Roman world. (laughs) Then again, we can look in our own hearts. This isn't to condemn anybody, but it's, it's appropriate to have some soul searching. Show me where you spend your time, your money, and your energy, says John Wimber. And I'll tell you what you worship. What they turn to, you turn from 
You turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. True repentance is very personal, attentive, and very continual. It's a continual running to God. John Wimber, again, if you forgive a double quote. It seems the more I think about not sinning, the more I sin, but the more I think about just loving Jesus, the less I seem to sin. Falling in love with Jesus seems to be the key. Run to Jesus and love him. The one thing I noticed about the Jesus revolution where I came to Christ was a supernatural, miraculous revelation of his love and living presence that was so electrifying and so stunning and so shocking that it knocked you to the floor and required you to love him back in a way where your lifestyle backed up your confession. You're all in so much that you called yourself a Jesus person, but everybody else called you a Jesus freak. And you didn't care because the only thing that mattered was you and Jesus. All that mattered. That's it. Stand up. We'll have an altar team. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We will believe God with you for breakthrough, body, soul, or spirit. Could be that you're empty inside. Those of you watching on television, those of you either watching on our YouTube channel or live feed on Facebook, could be the Holy Spirit is making it clear to you that there's a desperation in your heart, you know that there's something missing. What's missing has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. Right now he's making his reality revealed to you supernaturally and miraculously. And he's saying, whoever is thirsty, come and drink. Drink freely of the water of life. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm knocking on the door of your heart, and all I want you to do is to open the door. I'll come in, and I'll have fellowship with you. Meet the deepest need of your heart. You'll never go back. When you found the peace and the rest, the utter tranquility, the deep, calling the deep, rest of soul, the beauty of the person of the Lord Jesus will rock your world one time and it'll rock your world every day till he comes back. It takes it to a whole new level in glory. Could be that you're here today or watching on TV, just call on him, just respond to him, say yes to his yes. If you want to spend some time at the altar, you, you can get right with Jesus right today. Put your hand in your heart. We bless these words to our triune self, body, soul, and spirit.
in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. We love you. God loves you. Have a great day.